Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. Uh, as Pastor mentioned, it's kind of not so, uh, I think the weather tonight is conducive of just kind of, you know, locking yourself in the room and just reading a book, right? You ever had those days where it's like wet and gloomy and dark and cold and you don't feel like going out anywhere? Um, well, so I thank all of you for making that effort to get out of your comfort zones and come here tonight. And I believe that God is going to bless us this evening. And uh, it's not so bad in San Jose, amen? Uh, I used to live it before I, before I moved to San Jose, California, I used to live in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Anybody know what's so special about Vancouver, especially around this time of the year? <laughs> well, yeah, it's cold, that's true, but what else? Thank you. It rains every single day. I think when I lived in Vancouver, um, my third year living in Vancouver, in the month of January of whatever year that was, we had 27 consecutive days of rain. So there was a lot of flooding and there was a lot of uh, accidents and there was a lot of other crazy things. So it's not that bad. I think the forecast tells us about three or four days we're going to have of uninterrupted rain. But I think this is somewhat illustrative. Is that a word? Illustrative? It's, it's somewhat symbolic of what God wants to do from now till the rest of this weekend. Amen? We said that the Spirit of God is symbolized by many different things. Fire, we said he's symbolized by wind. We said he's symbolized by the dove, and he's also symbolized by rain. So I think when we see the rain outside, and we see the forecast of rain constantly in every, on my phone, it only goes up to, here, I'll tell you right now, it only goes up to maybe Monday, and every single day it has blue lines like this. It says Thursday, it has a cloud, and then it has blue lines. Friday, cloud, blue lines. And of course, the blue lines is symbolic to, to rain. And my prayer is that your Christian experience, if we could have a prognostic we don't have a prognostic on our Christian walk. But if we did have a prognostic, uh, a forecast of your Christian experience, my prayer is that there will be many showers. Amen? There will be showers of blessings. Amen. Those of you who came Sunday night, what was our message? Fill me our earnest plea. And what are the three things that the Bible exposes that humanity is constantly filling themselves with? The east wind, which we identified as empty knowledge. What is the second thing? Arguments. We saw that humanity is filling themselves with arguments against God. What else? Intoxicating drink. Right? When we talked about some of the existential, uh, indulgent lifestyles that we have in modern-day America. And that's the reason why we live our lives the way that we do, because we fill ourselves with the wrong things. So what did the Bible identify are the four things that God wants to fill us with? What's the first thing? God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, come here. Fill your belly with the scroll. Why? What did the scroll contain? It contained the words of life. What is the second thing that we found? God wants to fill what? God wants to fill our horn with what? With oil, and he wants us to go. Number three, he wants to fill us with laughter and rejoicing. Number four, he wants to fill us with joy and peace. Amen? Monday, those of you who came Monday, we, we saw that the Spirit of God was able to transform planet Earth from ugly to beautiful. Amen? And what were the three characteristics of ugly in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1? Desordenado, right? <laughs> Somebody said that. Without form, it was void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then all of a sudden what? The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And the final product is in verse 31. And the Bible says that the earth was very good. Paul says, God who commanded the light out of darkness, in Genesis chapter 1, is the God who's alive today in 2012, who is speaking life and is speaking light 
in the darkness of your life, who is speaking life in the darkness and in the void and in the chaos and in the mess that we sometimes find ourselves in. Amen? Tuesday, the spirit and the breath of God. And we discovered that some of us have bad breath. Amen? But we discovered that God has sweet breath. Amen? <laughs> and that many of us are suffocating in our Christian experience because we don't have enough oxygen to run the spiritual marathon ahead of us. And we found that God has oxygen supply for Christian survival. Amen? And what is that oxygen supply? Where is it? Where do we go? Where do we find it? In the Word of God. Thank you, brother. My brother, lift it up in the sky. God bless you. Then our message uh, after the Spirit and the breath of God was what? We talked about Ezekiel 16. We talked about an infant child, remember? Who was thrown, exactly, who was thrown out into the open desert. The navel cord wasn't cut. He was kicking and screaming in his own blood. Nobody cared, no compassion, but someone passed by. It was a stranger who came, who knelt before this child and whispered in the child's ear and said, live. And somehow that word slowly started changing the experience of this young child. We concluded that that young child is symbolic of your life and my life. And God is trying to speak life into our lifelessness. And we found that even six young, up to no good, people can be rescued and be changed, and God can make something out of the nothingness of our lives. Amen? Tonight, I think the message is going to be very, very clear and very straightforward, and I'm excited about this message. Amen? I'm excited. The, the title of our message, I've actually changed the title of our message. The title of our message is The Spirit and Action. Amen? The Spirit and action. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can ask of you to fill us our earnest plea. Father, we hear um, silence as, now as we pray, but we trust, Lord, that the sound of the angelic beings, by, by faith, we feel and we hear their presence with us here tonight as well. Father, as the rain is falling upon this roof, we pray that the Spirit the reins of, of the Spirit may fall upon our hearts. Father, hide me behind the cross. We would see Jesus. Help us, Father, to leave this place different than the people we were when we walked into this place is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The Spirit and action. I remember I was talking to my grandmother, my Seventh-day Adventist grandmother, that I mentioned to you all last night, and I had an interesting conversation with her. My grandmother, usually when I talk to her, kind of tells me just kind of random things that are going on and random things that she, she's, she sees on TV. So on one particular occasion, she told me that she recently saw something outrageous on TV, on Noticiero Univision, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's kind of like a cutting-edge report. And the report, and it's a little fuzzy and vague because I didn't see it. This is kind of just, this is secondhand. But this is what my grandmother told me. Apparently, this particular news report was featuring a tragic situation that had taken place in the Everglades. Anybody know what the Everglades are? Everglades is a giant swamp in South Florida, and there's a lot of interesting creatures that hang out in the Everglades. Anybody know what type of creatures hang out there? <laughs> Somebody said Dominicans. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we hang out in New more in New York City, but that's another sermon for another time. <laughs> Alligators and flamingos and a lot of other weird stuff. Anybody been to the Everglades here? Kevin, Pastor? Is it, the, is it just the three of us? Okay. We're going to have to do a mission trip to the Everglades. Evangelize the alligators. All right. So there was a particular couple. I think they were German or like Scandinavian, Swedish, Norwegian. I don't even know. But they were Europeans who were here in the Everglades, well not here, but in Florida, in the Everglades, here in this country, 
And they were so enraptured by the Everglades. They were like, wow, this is so amazing. This is so awesome. They started taking pictures of everything. You guys ever travel abroad? Anybody or has anybody here been like a full-blown tourist? I am a full-blown tourist. I'm like an annoying tourist. Because when I travel abroad, I take pictures of everything. I take a picture of a rock. It's a rock in whatever country that I am, you know? I take a picture of just random people just because I want to take in the whole experience. Amen? So these people were doing the same. They were just taking pictures of random things, random uh, uh, different little shots. And they were so amazed by it. And little by little, they started approaching the, um, a swamp area, big gigantic lake. And it was a mother, a father, and a child. I'm not sure if the child was male or female. I think maybe six, seven, eight-ish. Okay? So there was a gigantic sign, okay, right on the shores of this big lake. And it said, danger, keep <laughs> distance. And then if you read, it basically said that it was alligator-infested water, okay? Alligator-infested water. But remember, number one, they are Germans, they are Norwegians, or wherever it is that they're from, so their English is not 100% good, so they can't, like, really... But even in, in Arabic or in Chinese, you can tell when a sign says danger, amen? You know what I'm talking about? Usually when you have, like, the red circle and then it has a diagonal line on it, or like a skull with a red X on it, that universal language, amen? But for whatever reason, they were so amazed at their surroundings that they didn't really pay attention to this sign, okay? So they started getting closer and closer to the lake, and they were completely oblivious of the existence of this sign. And they got closer, and they were like, wow, one was taking picture, one was looking at the tree, and the child was playing with, with something, maybe trying to chase flies around, who knows? And according to my grandmother, remember, this is all hearsay. This is secondhand information. According to my grandmother, as the family was close to the lake, in the course of a second and a half, this big, gigantic monster comes up out of the lake, which my grandmother identified as a pájaro. Okay, pájaro. In the Dominican Republic, my grandmother's from the north. She's kind of from the countryside. And everything that you don't, anything that you don't, can't identify, she calls them pájaro. Anyways, that's a, it's a Dominican thing. Never mind. So she called it a pájaro even though it wasn't a pájaro. So, <laughs> so this big monster comes out, out of the water. Remember, second and a half, 1.7 seconds or whatever. And all of a sudden opens his mouth. And obviously he's going to go to who? going to go to the child because it's, it's the little one. It's the helpless one, right? Goes straight to the child, somehow just engulfs the entire mouth on the child, and typical with, you know, uh, water animals. When they have a hole on their victim and on their prey, they pull into the water, and they do this number, right? Now, this happens in 1.67 seconds. The parents are literally frozen. They're frozen. They're like this. What would you do? What would you do if you are on vacation and you're at the Everglades and you're there with your spouse and your child and your child in 1.5 seconds time somehow disappears by this big unidentified creature that is coming from a lake? What do you do? My grandmother proceeded to tell me that these, these, this parent, <laughs> mom and dad, apparently jumped inside of this lake. They were swimming like crazy, like they never swam before, towards this big monster. When they got close to this big monster, they both grabbed this big monster, something like this. I don't know. I'm trying to il illustrate so you could kind of, okay, like this. And I don't know what happens to dad, but the, I, I guess he gets like possessed by the spirit of Superman, okay? He gets his hands 
at the mouth of this thing, and he somehow opens it like this, opens the mouth like this. The mother then grabs the feet of her child and pulls her child out. Of course, severe, severe critical condition, you know, a lot of bruises and a lot of cuts and whatnot. And then, the story's not over. <laughs> it's only getting better. Remember, so now, dad's like this, mom and, and junior, or, you know, little girl, whatever it was, are swimming to shore. Dad is like this now. <laughs> According to my grandmother, and by the way, grandmothers never lie, amen? Yes. Grandmothers never lie. So grandma tells me that dad lifts his fist up in the air and just hit, just does one blow like this, boom, inside the mouth of the alligator. And it gets better. The alligator dies. <laughs> so I said, grandma, are you sure this wasn't a movie that you were watching? Are you sure this was Noticiero Univision? And she says, yes, I am sure that this was not a movie. So then she tells me, I know for sure, because immediately after they showed, they were talking about all this, they interviewed the parents, and they asked the parents, what in the world got into you? What were you thinking? Who in the world jumps into a lake and kills an alligator with one blow? Rescuing your child. And the child, of course, was in a lot of severe injuries, but survived. By God's grace. Who, who does this? Why did you do this? And I, the mother and the, and the father, they were going back and forth, and they, and they simply answered. They said, because there was no time to think. There was no time to think. Have you ever been in situations where there is no time to think, and you have to just make in action. You ever been in a situation like that? I'm sure we all have our crazy stories, right? It's situations where there is no time to think. When the, when the house is burning down, you cannot stay calm in the kitchen, rubbing your chin while the flames are devouring your roof. And the flame is trickling down into the walls and getting into your living room. You can't say, hmm, there's a fire. What would be the most intelligent thing to do at this particular moment of time? Where shall I escape? What shall I do? Can you do this? No, you cannot do this. Why? Because there's a lot of adrenaline pumping through your veins. And you cannot stop and think. You have to act fast. Yes? Do you remember what happened in January of 2009? January of 2009, U.S. Airways, flight 1549, was leaving LaGuardia Airport, New York City, flying to North Carolina. Six minutes after takeoff, you guys remember this story. Some of you are, remember what I'm saying. Six minutes after takeoff from the LaGuardia Airport, the airplane became disabled by going through, flying through a flock of Canadian geese. And the, and the plane was disabled. You are the pilot. What do you do? According to the story, which by the way, this is not a movie. This actually happened. According to the story, the pilot had seconds to react. Reaction time was very, very limited. He had no time to think or to weigh the options or weigh the consequences. So what did he decide to do? He decided to make an emergency landing in the Hudson River. Because of his decision and because of his well-calculated action, not one person in that flight died. They call it the miracle on the Hudson. And by the way, they call the pilot a hero. He's from where? 
Oh, look at that. So there are many, many different situations in life. Now, you may not be in that situation that the pilot was. Amen. Because maybe you're not a pilot. You may not be in the situation in the Everglades because you may not want to go to the Everglades, especially after telling you that story. Okay? But the point is that all of us have our kind of desperate situations that we find ourselves in that require a radical decision. And what I'm proposing to you all tonight is that we are living in a desperate situation. And that there is no time to keep thinking or weighing our options or measuring the consequences. Because we're going to find ourselves in more danger. God is asking us to make a decision to take action. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, we say, fill me our earnest plea. And this is a prayer. But when the Spirit of God comes into your life, you know what the aftermath is? Run with me to the book of Acts. I actually wasn't even planning to go here, but let's go there anyways. This text is not in my outline. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. When you receive the Holy Spirit, something happens. Amen? Acts chapter 1. And when you're there, please say amen. And by the way, I think it's so cool. Acts. Okay? Sounds a lot like action. Amen? The book of action. Isn't that kind of cool? The book of Acts. That's really what it is. It's talking about Acts. Action. If you want to see some good action, do not watch Arnold Schwarzenegger. Amen? I know he's like the king of action. That's what we label him. You want to see some good action? Read the book of Acts. Amen? Because it's the book of action. Acts chapter 1. When you're there, say amen. Notice what the Bible says in verse 8. The Bible says in verse 8, but you will receive what? Power when the who? Holy when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is that when the Spirit of God fills your life, there's going to be power. And that power is going to have tangible evidence through the decisions and the choices that you make. In fact, when you look carefully at the word power there in the original language, it's really, it's really, it reads this way. But you will receive dynamos. What does that sound like? It sounds like dynamite, doesn't it? By the way, that's where we get the word dynamite from. You shall receive dynamite. Does somebody need dynamite tonight? Amen. Does somebody need dynamite to blow up the shackles of addiction that you find yourself in? I have phenomenal news for you. The Holy Spirit is available for you tonight. And he has dynamite that you have never seen. Amen? Dynamite powerful enough to destroy whatever army it is that has, that has you enslaved. In the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what you see is a promise that when the Spirit of God comes down, there's going to be dynamite. And ladies and gentlemen, a lot of our churches can use a little dynamite. Amen. And then from that verse onward, what do you see? In verse 2, 3, 4, in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way down to the book of Acts, you see a fulfillment of the promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. My prayer is that at the conclusion of our week of prayer, this may be the experience that we have. That we may be filled with dynamite so that our lives can be filled with action. After all, what do you see in action flicks? We see a lot of dynamite. Amen? You see a lot of explosion. But when it comes to the Christian life, why isn't there any explosion? Have you noticed that? Did you know that an authentic Christian life is full of explosions? I'm not talking about blowing up your car. Amen? Don't get any ideas. I'm talking about spiritual explosions. A, a life that is genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit is full of action and full of explosion. Full of excitement. Full of adventure. Run with me to the book of 2 Kings. Desperate situations equal 
radical decision. 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we don't have time to get into the whole chapter. But if you study carefully 2 Kings chapter 6-ish, this area, you will find that Israel finds itself in one of the darkest moments of their entire history. There is an economical crisis. Does that sound familiar? The economy is shot. And Israel is panicking. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's pick up the story. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. When you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, New Bible tonight. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged, surround Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. It's kind of like the D.C. of uh, ancient Israel. And there was a great what? A great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. The famine was so great, the Bible tells us, that... A donkey's head was what? Was sold for how much? 80 shekels of silver. Apparently, there was such a severe famine in the land that they were selling donkey's heads so that you could buy it and you could eat donkey brain. Does that sound like a good supper? Donkey brain? Well, it gets worse. Until a donkey's head was sold for 80, sh 80 shekels of silver is a lot of money. But for those who can't afford 80 shekels of silver, for five shekels of silver, what is available for you? The Bible tells us the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. When you went to the local Safeway in Samaria, at this particular time in the chronology of Israel, there was only two major things that you could buy. Aisle one was for those that lived in Los Gatos. Amen? Los Altos. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it was 80 shekels of silver. Those who could afford 80 shekels of silver. And it was just a shelf full of different types of donkey's heads that you could take home with you, boil it, and eat donkey brain. And for the rest of us who don't live in Los Gatos, amen, <laughs> you could go to aisle two, where they're selling things not for 80 shekels of silver, but only for five. That's a huge discount. But what is it that you find in the shelf of the safe way of ancient Israel is nothing but Doves, dung, manure, nasty stuff. How could it be that a nation gets so corrupted and a nation is so financially in the dumps that they have to eat doves' dung? Is this a desperate situation, ladies and gentlemen? Yes or no? This is a severe situation. Okay, are we there yet? We don't, we have it all, we still have it all right, don't we? The economy's a, a mess, it's a nightmare, yes, but we, comparatively speaking, we have it a lot better. Now, it, I could, wish I could tell you that's the end of the story, but are you ready? It gets worse. Okay, verse 26. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on a wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son. Why? That we may eat him. Ill is right. Glad, I'm glad... There's a young person who's paying attention. Amen. Okay? Give me your son that we may eat him today. And it gets better. And we will eat my son tomorrow. Is that a good deal? Is that fair? That sounds pretty fair, right? <laughs> so what happened? I shouldn't laugh at this. So we boiled my son, verse 29, and we ate him. 
Hope I don't give you nightmares tonight. I'm sorry. And on the next day, I said to her, okay, we ate my son. So give me your son now that we may eat him. Does that, does that make sense? That was the business deal. Was, not that the, was that not the deal? Okay, give me your son that we could cook him and eat him today, okay? And then tomorrow we'll cook my son. Okay, let's do it. So they cooked her son. They ate him. So then the next day she was like, uh, ding, ding. Hi, yeah, you know, it's about supper time now. Um, so are we ready to do, you know, are we ready to cook your son? But according to the end, latter part of verse 29, the Bible says, but the mother, what? Has hidden her son. Now, wait a second. This is, this is really weird. The king says, what is your problem? She says, this is my problem. My problem is that we ate my son, and then this lady is hiding her son, and she doesn't want to give me her son so we can eat him. This is my problem. Is that her problem, that she doesn't have access to her neighbor's child so that she can't eat him? Or does she have a deeper problem? The problem is that she's eating humans. Amen? You guys follow? She doesn't even realize what her problem is. She's eating human beings, let alone her own children. Ladies and gentlemen, the king is baffled. He is shocked. He's like, am I hearing this? Somebody pinch me. Is this actually happening or is this a nightmare? And notice what the Bible says. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Ladies and gentlemen, a dark, dark time in the nation of Israel. And yet, Israel was who? Was Israel a pagan, atheistic power? Who, who was Israel? Israel was God's people. What in the world is God's people doing? Eating donkey brain eating dove's dung, and eating their own children. Is this a desperate situation? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a severe situation. What do you do? Think about it. What would happen in San Jose if that's pretty much what was going on? You had three classes. You had the high class, Los Altos, Los Gatos people, who were eating donkey brain. That's all they, could have, that's all they had. 80 shekels of silver. For the middle class, the only thing that they could afford was dove's dung. That was five shekels of silver. But for those who didn't even have five shekels of silver, they were literally left to cannibalism. People were eating each other. What would you do if you lived in an environment and in a civilization that had this desperate condition? Notice what the Bible tells us in chapter 7. Chapter 6 describes a very disturbing picture. And I won't read for your sake anymore, chapter 6. Amen? We had enough of chapter 6. Amen? <laughs> Let's go to chapter 7. Chapter 6 describes the problem. Chapter 6 describes the desperate situation. Many would write Israel off. Many would say there is no solution. There is no hope for Israel. But ladies and gentlemen, when we cannot find any more solutions humanly is because God is the only one who can bring solution. One of my favorite quotes by a, a little old lady, her name was Mrs. White. She says, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Have you ever found yourself in a condition or a situation where you wonder, is there any solution possible? And you've, and you've searched everywhere, apparently, and you still have not found a solution. And you're about to throw in the towel, and you're about to write it off. That is when God's opportunity has just begun. Many times, sadly, when we go through difficult situations, we go through all the professionals, right? We contact all of, the, all, of the, all of the professionals, and then when we run out of options, then we go to God. Have you noticed that? Or am I the only one that has this complex in my life? Right? Rather than going to God first, having faith that he's the one that has all the answers. 
But for many of us, God is just kind of in the back burner. When we run out of human options, then we go to God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a dangerous thing to do. Because in the process of going through human options, you may just find yourself committing spiritual suicide. So what in the world was the solution? Is it even possible? What happened? Well, let's take a look. Chapter 7. And by the way, read 6 and 7 when you get home. Sometime. Read it tomorrow morning because there's a lot of stuff that we're skipping over because of our, our limited amount of time. Chapter 7. Notice what happens. And verse 3. Now there were how many men? Four men who were what? Lepers. Now what, is, what does it mean when somebody is a leper? Okay, they're unclean, but why are they unclean? They have a disease. Okay, so being a leper means that you have a disease called leprosy. Now, what was leprosy? What is leprosy like? What kind of a disease is it? It's a disease of the skin, right, of the nerves, and it kind of desensitizes you to the point where you could literally kill yourself because you feel no more pain. It's interesting. By the way, in India and in China, there's a lot of places, a lot of villages, even today, where they have villages of leprous people because it's highly contagious in fact last year i was in canada and i met a group of uh of brothers who they go to china every year to a village infested with leper leprous people and they and they literally just serve them they feed them they bathe them they do everything for them and i thought to myself wow that is a severe commitment amen but these people were so in love with Jesus that they just couldn't help themselves. And they do this every year. They go to China. It's a particular area in China. So here we have four men who happen to have leprosy. Okay? They have this disease of the skin where it desensitizes you and you begin to lose your ability to feel. Now we're going to come back to that because this is very, very relevant. These four men found themselves where? At the entrance to the gates. This was kind of like the, you know, like when... Anybody drive cross country? You know, when you go through the, the border, Kevin just drove from Houston, from GYC all the way to San Jose with a group of 20-something young people. So he's had his share of cross country driving. But right when you go through Arizona, and right before you get to the border, right as you're about to cross the line, you see a big sign. What does it say? Welcome to California, right? That's kind of the gate of the state as it were. So here you have these four men, and they're sitting in, they're, they're, they're lying at the entrance to the gates of the kingdom of Israel, of the city of Samaria. Now listen to the question that they ask themselves. And it, it almost implies that this was a very common practice for them to just sit and talk. I'm from, I'm from uh, Miami. One of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that, the reason you know you're in Miami is when you see several Cuban men wearing these really cool shirts called guayaveras, okay? And usually they're sitting in a circle and they're playing dominoes. And they're there literally like from morning, yeah, Cayocho, we have a sister that used to live in Miami. From morning all the way so they do this every single day. It's like all they do is sit and talk. They talk about politics. They talk about, I mean, they, they're coming up with the solution to the world, okay? This is the common culture of, the, of Miami and, and kind of the Caribbean flair. That's kind of what they do. This is kind of what they were doing in 2 Kings chapter 7. They were sitting and talking, and apparently they, they would do this often. This is kind of, the, kind of the indirect implication that you get. But notice what one of the guys, he asks a question that I believe cuts to the heart of all of the rest of the three and possibly cuts even to our own hearts. Notice the question that he asks. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Wow. Did you catch that? In other words, they're sitting at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. If, as they look into Samaria, what do they see? They see people stealing from each other, donkey, donkey heads. You, get, you guys get the picture. It's just complete chaos. Okay? Desordenado, right? It's without form. Samaria is just in complete 
chaos. As they look ahead, they can't quite see it, but there is the opposing army. The Syrians have surrounded the entire city of Samaria. So it's almost as if they can't go back to Samaria because they're going to starve. But they can't go ahead because then the opposing army is going to kill them. They're in between two very, very difficult situations, and they're right in the middle, and they're asking, why do we sit here neutral? Why are we sitting here until we die? Now, notice their reasoning. I think it's brilliant reasoning. In verse, in the next verse, verse 4, if we say, let us enter the city, well, the famine is in the city, and we will die. And if we sit here and do nothing, I added that do nothing part, we will also die. So come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians straightforward. If they spare our lives, we shall live. But if they kill us, then we will die. <laughs> Do you see? Kind of, they were, they're having a bad day. Amen? This is a bad day, okay? Next time you have a bad day where your supervisor or your manager at work is just breathing behind your neck, being nitpicking you, think, open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 7. Amen. And realize that you don't have it that bad, okay? Others have had it a lot worse than you have. 2 Kings chapter 7, there's four options. Four. They could enter the city of Samaria. They could sit there and do nothing. They can go to the camp of the Assyrians. And if they spare their lives, they will live. Or they could go to the camp of the Assyrians, or the, the Syrians rather, and they can be killed. Four options. Three of the options lead to death. The last option, which is the most slim possibility that anybody would spare their lives. After all, they're trying to take over the city of Samaria. That's the only little window of hope that they have if for whatever reason the Syrians would spare their lives and they will live. What do they do? <laughs> What's the point? They're going to die anyways. Amen? They have three options that are probably the most feasible, but they're going to die if they take those three options. So the point is, what do they have to lose? <laughs> they don't have anything to lose. We're going to die anyway, so we might as well go out with a bang. Amen? So this is what they do. They say, listen, life is short. Okay? Our kingdom is going, is going up to, in ruins. Why in the world are we going to sit here and do nothing and keep talking about all the issues when we may be able to do something about this. They said, maybe we need to take, are you ready for the word? Action. Maybe we need to take action. So what do they do? Let's follow the story. You ready? All right. So they arose, verse 5, at twilight. Now, what, what does twilight mean? <laughs> I'm not talking about the phenomena of entertainment today with twilight. Amen? I'm talking about the word twilight. What is twilight? Huh? Dusk, right? So at dusk, what do they do? At twilight, what they find themselves doing is that they arise and they go to the camp of the Syrians. Remember, there's only two possibilities making this choice. Number one, the Syrians will kill them, which is very probable. Or number two, they will spare their lives and they will live, which is highly unlikely. So they rose to the camp of the Syrians, but when they came to, listen, 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 but when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, it was ghost town. There was nobody there. They're like, no way, this is so weird. Where's everybody at? Verse six, for the Lord, listen, had made the army of the Syrians, listen, Hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. So that the Syrians said one to another, Behold, the king of Assyrians has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So the Syrians fled away in the twilight. Listen to what it says. And they abandoned their tents, their horses, 
and their donkeys. I'm sure they were sick of seeing donkeys, but they found donkeys there. Leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent. What did they do? They ate and drank like they've never eaten and drank before. Amen. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went back. And what did they do? They hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off the things from it and went and hid them. Verse 9. Then they said one to another, we are not doing right. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing? What are we doing? Listen to what he says. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city. We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. And you could go ahead and read the rest of the chapter when you get home. Did you see what just happened here? Four apparently useless and worthless men who, by the way, had a terminal disease called leprosy, who were going to die anyways, figured that what good is it to just sit and be passive about the problems in the world when they could possibly do something and maybe even bring solutions to the problems. And because of these four crazy leprous men, they were able, are you ready, to save the entire kingdom of Israel. One decision. I don't want to sound like a trailer, right? amen? A movie trailer. One decision. I don't, want to, I don't want to sound like that. One decision that was made saved an entire civilization. How powerful are decisions? One decision that was made saved an entire kingdom because four men were crazy enough to think that if they did something, maybe they could be of solution rather than just keep marinating the problem that already exists. Ladies and gentlemen, if we do a careful analysis of our lives, we will find ourselves in the same situation of these four men sitting, doing a lot of talking, but are we doing something for the kingdom of God? Suffering is all around us. People are in need all around us. I'm a big fan of mission trips, amen? Huge. We went to Brazil a uh, year and a half ago with my church, and it was awesome. But ladies and gentlemen, sometimes the greatest mission trip is just crossing the street and knocking on your neighbor's door and say, hi, I'm your neighbor. I want to invite you to come to these meetings. I want to, I've made these cookies for you. I want to invite you to this health expo. We want to get better acquainted with our, with our community. We want to have prayer. We want to intercede. Sometimes the greatest mission trip is in very close proximity. Amen? And it doesn't require visas or passports. Amen? What that means is that we all have the capabilities of doing something in our sphere of influence. There are certain people that you only know in this sanctuary. There's people in San Jose right now that none of us know in this place except for you. Why is that? Maybe because you're the only one that God has appointed to be a blessing to that person. So you can't wait for somebody else to do the job that God is calling you to do. Amen? God is asking you to take action. He's asking you don't just sit and talk about the problems. We all know the problems are here. We know the problems exist. Talking about the problems is not going to bring solution to the situation. We have to stand up, amen, and we have to be proactive and make decisions in our lives that will, by the grace of God, bring a change and bring solution. Rosa Parks. Anybody know who Rosa Parks was? Rosa Parks was one who didn't just keep talking about the problems. She didn't just keep whining about the situation, the injustice, the inequality between the blacks and the whites. What did she do? She took action. Amen? 
And because of the action of a little old lady on a bus, she revolutionized America. Amen? Never underestimate the power of a decision. Dr. Martin Luther King, I guess we're in, uh, in that moment, and we just had Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Another man who believed he had a dream. That's what his speech says. I have a dream. And this dream was so vivid and so real to him, it led him to take this dream and no longer be a dream, but actually take it into action. And because of Dr. Martin Luther King's commitment for change, he was able to formulate change. And many of us are experiencing certain privileges because of the decision of a man named Dr. Martin Luther King. Mahatma Gandhi. Anybody know who Mahatma Gandhi was? Indian. Mahatma Gandhi lived in India. And Mahatma Gandhi was one of these leprous men who decided, you know what? I'm going to stop talking about the problems. And I'm even going to stop talking about the solutions. And I'm actually going to do something about the solutions so that we can see solutions in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, I could go down the list in history. And you see different individuals who'd made a conscious decision to do good. The Bible is full of them and secular history is full of them. And I believe that what God is looking for is for leprous men and women tonight who are willing to stand and say, you know what, God? I think it's time for me to make a decision. I've been doing too much thinking, too much thinking. But there's no time to think. Because we're living in a desperate situation. Yes, you may say, well, wait a minute, preacher. We're not buying donkey brains. We're not buying a, a dove's dung. And it's true, we're not. But spiritually speaking, we are. Amen? What are people feeding off of spiritually? They're not feasting from the word of God. Amen? Whole bread. Amen? They're feasting themselves from trash. People are eating from the dumpster, spiritually speaking, and the reason why we live in the age that we live in is because of that. There is a famine in the land. We talked about that famine Sunday night, right? Not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Maybe tonight you realize that you've been sitting too much, and you've been talking too much, but you've been doing very little. And tonight you say, Lord, if my apparently insignificant life can have an influence and impact my home, can impact my marriage, can impact my workplace, can impact my circle of friends, can impact my church, then I pray that you may use me and do something with this insignificant life and bring out a significant change. Maybe this describes your experience. Ladies and gentlemen, God is looking for people that are proactive. Jesus did not just sit in heaven understanding the famine that happened in planet Earth. After Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, this planet was kidnapped by Satan. Jesus didn't sit on the throne surrounded by the bliss of angels saying, oh, that's too bad. Jesus was proactive. Heaven was no longer a place of bliss when he realized that there was some of his children, some of his family members that were suffering. Jesus made a decision, and it cost him his life. But because of that decision that cost him his life, millions will be able to live throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who wants to make a decision. Whatever the decision may be, maybe God is calling you to make a difference in your home. Maybe God is not asking you to go to Africa or go to South America. Maybe God is just asking you to make a change in your home. Maybe God is asking you to be proactive in your home, maybe to express your faith a little bit more openly and be an example. Preach not only through your mouth, but preach through your life. Maybe God is asking you to be responsible in the type of music that you listen to. Maybe God is asking you to be a little bit more mindful of the decisions you make when it comes to food. Maybe God is asking you to be a little bit more mindful of your influence around others. Maybe God is asking you to be more mindful about the, the type of conversations that you have and maybe change 
the content of those conversations to something a little bit more edifying. Maybe God is telling you to take the first step in your marriage and make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody in this world is sitting down waiting for somebody to make the first move. Meanwhile, ages and ages passes, generation passes, and nobody stands. God says tonight in San Jose, there has to be somebody that's willing to take a stand and make a difference in their sphere of influence. You're going to be getting a car tonight. San Jose Central, Week of Prayer 2012. You're going to be getting a little white card. It looks a little bit like this. Fill me our earnest plea, my decision for Christ. If your life is not full of action for Christ, tonight is the night where you allow Christ to give you the ability to have a life full of action. Amen? Amen. Your decision for Christ. So many lives come and go. So many different people come and go. But only a few people in different epochs of history have made decisions. And we're only, we only talk about, did you know that we only talk about the people who've made decisions in history? Those people who didn't take actions in history, you and I don't even know. Why? Because they don't stand out in history. Only the people who stand out in history are the ones that actually did something to bring solution to the problem. And maybe in this generation, maybe God is calling you to be that person that makes a decision. Five options tonight in your card. Option number one, I desire to accept Christ for the very first time. Maybe tonight you have never made a decision for Christ. Maybe tonight you've never really made that conscious decision. You've thought about it, but you haven't fully made that decision. And you realize that, man, I really can't have the joy of the Lord if I don't make a decision to follow the Lord. I really can't have a, a, a openly a blessed life of, uh, of Christ's blessings if I don't make a decision to accept Christ in my life now. So this is an opportunity that we want to give you all to make that decision for Christ tonight. And if that's your desire, just put a little check or an X on number one. Number two, I am interested in learning more about baptism. Last night we had two young people made decisions for baptism. Amen. Maybe you've never made a decision for baptism. Maybe you realize that you've kind of been in the valley. You really haven't been committed to one side. You've just kind of been wavering back and forth. And tonight you're like, yeah, I realize that I need to make a conscious decision. Maybe like the lepers, you've been hanging out at the gates between Samaria and Syria. And tonight you're like, no, I need to make a conscious decision to represent the Lord's army. And this doesn't mean that you're going to get baptized tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It simply means that certain leaders here in this church, the pastor, are going to assist you to prepare for that experience in the not-so-distant future. Amen? So if you have a desire to learn about baptism, just check uh, number two there. Number three, I need special prayer. Maybe you just have Maybe you just need counsel. Maybe you, just, you need a visit. Maybe you just need special prayer. And if this is your case, this is a good opportunity on the back of this card to kind of highlight what's the main points. What are some of the main things that you're struggling with that you need prayer for? There's a powerful prayer team here in this church, and they're going to be praying for you guys. So if there's something that, there, that you need prayer for, you need intercession for, then just go ahead and write it. And uh, your name is definitely going to be presented to the Lord as this church is praying. Point number four, I would like to get more involved at San Jose Central. Amen? Maybe you just realize, man, I need, to do, I need to do something for God. I need to stop being a spectator in the religious warfare. I need to be actively involved. I want to be in the, I want to be in the field. I want to be catching that ball. I want to be scoring those touchdowns for the Lord. And if this is your situation where you feel like you've kind of been a bystander, but you want to take an active role in whatever, maybe you don't even know what you're, you're interested in, or you, you don't even know what you're good, for, good at, that's fine. We have, a, like I said, the pastor here will assist you in figuring out where you would fit best in the leadership of San Jose Central. Amen? All of you have gifts and talents. We all have different gifts and talents. And God uses us differently to bring good. 
So if you realize you need to get involved, maybe it's a prayer uh, team. Maybe you need to get involved in community services. This church has a powerful community service ministry. Maybe you need to get involved with children. Maybe God has given you a ministry for children. Maybe, uh, maybe you, you have gifts uh, uh, with music. Maybe God wants to use your musical talent. Whatever the situation may be, just go ahead and put a check or an X on number four. If you really feel that you need to take more action and be a little bit more active and in, in, involved here in this, in this church. And finally, number five, I would like to join or open my home for a small group. Amen. How many of you would like to see revival be consistently present in your life? How many of you are kind of tired of going through weeks of prayer, then at the end just kind of the week of prayer is over and it's back to reality and that was so awesome. I wish it never ended. You guys know what I'm talking about? Small group, having, opening a small group in your home is an opportunity for fill me or earnestly to continue in your home. Amen? This week of prayer doesn't have to finish at the end of this week. This week of prayer can continue in your living room. Or maybe not your living room. Maybe you want to go to somebody else's living room. That's fine as well. But the point is that you want to join and you want to be around spiritual people that are going to aid you and empower you to keep walking in the Christian life. Sometimes we think we're like hot shots and we want to do it on our own. <laughs> but sometimes we need accountability, we need supervision, and you need encouragement. And notice that it wasn't one leprous man that decided to go. It was four leprous men. Amen? What does that mean? Sometimes there's power in unity. Sometimes you need two or three buddies who are struggling just like you and are looking for the exact same thing that you are looking for. So this is an opportunity for you to maybe establish a little bit more solid experience with God. And if this is your desire, put a check uh, or an X on number five. And if you would like to open your home, then circle the parentheses, open my home. And only if you have a really, really nice home. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you just want to join, just go ahead and put an X and it pretty much implies that you want to join a small group. By the way, small groups are absolutely powerful. And part of the reason why I became a Christian is because we had a small group in somebody's dinner table. And that's what gave me the, the drive to make a decision for Christ. Put your name, and hopefully it's legible so that we could read it. Amen? Put your address, where you live, your phone number, email, a way that we can contact you so that we could keep you accountable and so that we can encourage each other to continue growing and continue learning in our walk with Christ. Amen? What we're going to do now is we're going to collect these cards. Pastor and the other individual who's going to be collecting, they're gonna, please uh, pass your cards to the center of the aisle so Pastor could have it a lot easier to collect these cards. And these cards are going to be reviewed. They're going to be prayed for. They're going to be prayed over. So don't feel like this decision is simply going to disintegrate into nothingness because it isn't. This decision is a decision that we are going to pray tonight is sealed in the courts above and that this decision will be possibly what will unlock your spiritual potential and your, the beginning of a new experience with God, with God and with Christ. So we want to encourage you to pass the cards and we will be contacting you very, very soon via phone call, via email, or maybe even a visit. So be ready for that door knock. Amen? Be ready. And when you think you're alone, and when you think you're the only one that is fighting, and you get discouraged, ladies and gentlemen, look around you. We're all in the same boat. Amen? We're all struggling together, and we're all marching, trying to march onward to Zion, the city of God. Amen? So tonight, as we finish, my prayer is that we cease from simply talking about the problems of the world, the problems of, of this nation, the problems in our marriage, the problems in our church, the problem in the school system. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of problems, and we have to be, we have to be honest about these problems. But my prayer is that we may leave thinking differently. Now, what are the solutions to these problems? And not so much what are the solutions, but how can I be part of the solution to this problem.
If you have this attitude, it will radically revolutionize your life, and God is going to use you as a mighty tool. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you can use leprous, apparently insignificant men and change the world. Father, you did this with many others in the sacred volume of the Bible, and you did this in all of history. People who made decisions, people who took action. And Father, I know that there's people in this sanctuary right now who are a decision away from totally revolutionizing their experience with you. I know there's people that are just a choice away from being filled with your spirit. And my prayer is, Lord, that because of the actions and the decisions and the commitments of the people that are under this roof right now, many people outside of these church walls in San Jose may benefit from our decisions. Help us, Lord, to be a channel of heavenly light to others that are in darkness. Help us, Father, to no longer sit until we die. Help us to realize that there's no more time to think and to weigh options and spend countless years and months and, and decades without doing anything for you. Help us, Father, to be a people of action. Help us to stand up and take the first step. Help us to realize, Father, that this battle is yours, is not ours. Help us to no longer be spectators, but help us to be actively involved in the, in the front lines, in the trenches of the great controversy between good and evil. Father, I ask that you bless every decision. Those that have made decisions for baptism tonight, Father, please put a blessing upon that person. Those that need special prayer, Lord, we pray for those uh, particular challenges that are very detailed and very specific that you know. And I want to pray for those, Lord, that really feel a need to get involved in a small group who need accountability, who need a, a prayer partner. I pray that you may facilitate that and make it possible. And Father, I want to pray for those that really feel the need to get involved more in the ministry of San Jose Central. I pray that you may open up the opportunities for them and that by your grace, those that are eating spiritual donkey brains and those that are eating spiritual junk may be able to feast on the amazing banquet that you have for us. Help us, Father, to not keep silent, as these leprous men said in chapter 7. Help us to realize that today is a day of good news. And that good news is that Jesus is coming again, and he wants to take us home. Thank you for listening to our prayer, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow night, you're invited, 7 p.m., Elijah and the End Time Revival. Bring a friend. God bless. For those who have, uh, we'd like to give an opportunity for those who might need prayer this evening.